0: What's up, everybody? My name is Marty Griffin, and you are listening to the Golf Strategy School podcast. And this is the 100th episode. We are brought to you by SuperSpeed Golf. If you want to learn more about how you can hit the ball farther with brain science, check out my interview with Mike and Kyle from SuperSpeed at GolfStrategySchool.com/superSpeed. Today's episode is the 100th episode. This episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, i got to say right now, Mom, if you're listening, I don't want to talk about this. I deal with this in my own way, but we're not going to do any intros or anything like that. Uh, This episode is why I hate golfing. So let's dig into that. Now, if you've been listening for a while, if you've known me for a while, you know that I've been golfing for a long time. Over 20 years. Thousands of rounds, hundreds of tournaments, and really it comes down to just that. I, I have a confession to make. I hate golfing alone. Now to know exactly why, we've got to turn back the clock quite a bit. When I was 12 years old, I had my second open heart surgery. First one, I was only 14 months old. So it was a valvuloplasty due to a tricuspid regurgitation and a tetralogy of fallow if you're keeping score at home. This essentially means that I have unoxygenated blood in my outbound bloodstream. And as my buddy Derek would say, that's no bueno. <laughs> After my surgery, uh, doctor said I couldn't play baseball anymore and I couldn't wrestle. My careers were officially over. And at 12 years old, yes, I know you don't have a career in sports. But the thing is, when all of your friends play baseball and you have to sit on the sidelines to watch because of your heart, something that they can't see and that they certainly don't comprehend, it sucks. I'm instantly alienated from 90% of the kids in my class. So instead of playing baseball, I was just launching tennis balls into our garage door with a hockey stick. Until one day, my dad, Martin Jr., I'm the third, if you didn't know, he told me to come with him to the driving range. And what I didn't know at that time is that he had just picked up the game after like a 20-year break. So he was relearning right along with me. And we're about three weeks into trips to our local driving range, which is Vitense Golf Land, if you're familiar with the Madison area. Hi, Joel. Hi, Mark. (laughs) My dad realized he was no longer able to really guide me, so he smartly got me lessons. Now, that's when it really took off. I took lessons, and I played the par 3 course for the rest of the summer, and my first round ever was with my dad and my two older brothers, Troy and Corey, and I finished last in our group, as you'd expect, with a sizzling 114. But the thing was, I birdied a par 5, so I was totally hooked. The weekend trips to ViTents Tents turned into three times a week at the range, and two at the course. Now we were sending hundreds of thousands of golf balls downrange, and the whole time I had those same steady set of eyes watching every swing, every lesson, and every round. And with the amount we were both playing we were actually, you know, improving pretty well there. And for about five years, it was really kind of a toss up as to who would win each round. The only constant was when we would finish, we'd walk through the door to our house and my dad would go to my mom with all the snark he could muster and say, ask him who won. And for several years, like I said, it was a legitimate question. Obviously in the early years, my dad being older and stronger, he won more times than not, but I caught up rather quickly. And pretty soon it was trending more in my favor. Part of that's probably because I was the one that was getting dropped off at the golf course at five thirty or six in the morning with his credit card. So I could practice and play all day, 500 balls with breakfast, 18 holes before lunch, even more range time in the afternoon with sorry, dad, an occasional nap. <laughs> hey, I get tired. It's warm out there, but, uh, the cool thing was right around three thirty, my practice partner would show up probably mainly to retrieve his credit card. Uh, but he would also shag balls for me when I was practicing my short game, he'd kick them back to me. We'd work on things and we would usually play another nine or 12 or 15 holes sometimes before it got dark. And this was every single day during the summer. But by this time, I'm in full tournament swing. I've been playing for a few years. I'm doing junior events. Some of my events were actually state golf association events with adults, but all of them had the same spectator patrolling the rough, keeping my stats and offering me the occasional word of encouragement, even though on course coaching wasn't allowed because, well, if you're a dad, you know that rules don't apply to you. Sheesh. That was certainly his philosophy at times. (laughs) So after high school and after college and trying to make a career of golf, again, all funded by my parents and somewhat by my skill, golf became more of a recreational thing for me and my dad. The shoe was on the other foot now because I was his coach. He started around a 19 handicap and through slow and steady improvement in about two years, I got him down to about a 14 And I'll never forget, I was caddying for him in a senior amateur tournament when he captured lightning in a bottle. And the awesome part was he didn't even realize it. We were focusing, and this is a lesson for everybody, we were focusing on making smart choices off the tee. It was a very short course with lots of hazards, lots of water. So we were hitting lots of rescue clubs and four irons off the tee, and we were taking very conservative approach lines into the green, just aiming at the middle, regardless of where the pin was. And so he went out in 44, which he was kind of okay with. As a 14 handicap at the time, he wanted to be a little bit lower, but, you know, it's within the realm of reason. But he came home smoking hot. On the 18th hole, he had a putt for his best score ever. We're staring at this big 15-footer for birdie. We go through our reads, we stick to our pre-shot routine, and he absolutely buried that sucker in the heart of the cup. I pump my fist and yell, yes. And my dad goes and retrieves the ball from its circular coffin, and he smiles, shakes hands, and, you know, gives me his putter. You saw, it was a good par, yeah? And I smiled and shook my head. I'm like, no, dad, that was a birdie. But it was par for the back freaking nine. He was certain there was an error, that it was a mistake, that I accidentally started writing the other guy's scores down on my card. And he went through and he was looking at it. He's like, well this can't be right. I've never shot 79. It can't be right. And this is actually something that I struggled with for a long time too. Until I broke into the seventies, I just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And then once I did, I had that proof. And then it was much easier to shoot in the seventies from that point forward. But we added the scores up. He compared his card to my card that I was keeping separately to his opponent who was keeping his score. And we all came up was 79. So I said out in 44, 8 in and 35 looks like 75, 79 to me. And I'll never forget that smile. He was just, he had no idea that he could actually do that. That was one of the coolest days of my life. So we celebrate with a few brand new old fashions and we went home to tell the story. Fast forward a few years to August 26th, 2006. My dad had been to the doctor the week prior for a cough he couldn't shake. And the doctor called and said, we need to talk. And we got those two words that no one wants to hear. Terminal cancer. F***. (sighs) How long do we have? That was the only question we could think of. Doctor said about six months. So we do the chemo. And we were lucky enough to be one of the few people who actually sees a temporary remission. And over the winter, we pretend that nothing's wrong. Remission's nice, but we know it's not forever. And then April rolls around. And then the doctors say the cancer's back. So by this time, my wife and I had just told my parents that we were expecting our first child come November. The doctor said... Usually, after remission, you have about half the length of the remission before the cancer takes you. So he was saying two or three months from April. And due to that circumstance, he asked my dad if he even wanted to bother taking chemo again. And the thing is, not fighting is never a choice in our family. Never has been. And if I have anything to say about it, it never will be. Whether it's fighting the neighborhood bully, fighting for a spot on the golf team, or fighting to see your unborn granddaughter. And this is another one of my favorite stories to tell about my dad. He shoved his finger like two knuckles deep into that doctor's chest. And he said, I don't care what the f*** you have to do to me. You make sure I'm here to meet my granddaughter. So we started chemo again. First, it was chemo, then brain radiation, because that's usually where it goes next. But that was no reason to stop golfing. It was chemo on Wednesdays and golf the other six days of the week. I had a job at that point, so a lot of those rounds happened with my mom, but we still got out at least three days a week. And I remember we were playing in a scramble and light clockwork every third hole he asked me to pull way off in the deep rough or behind trees so he could go throw up because he was getting sick from the chemo. But that was no reason to stop golfing. We were playing one time late in October that year. And by this time, he didn't have any hair. And a snowstorm rolled in. Like, it's cold, it's windy, and now it's freaking snowing. And he goes, can you drive the cart? I can't feel my hands. I told him, Dad, we can go inside. It's not that big of a deal. But cold is no reason to stop golfing. Not even snow. Eventually, the season had come to an end, and my dad was still around. He had beaten all the odds that the doctor gave him. And on November 13th, 2008, my daughter Taylor was born. And he was there the very next morning to hold her. They hung out and laughed for the next nine weeks. Then, January 6, 2009, his body just couldn't fight anymore. And he was 66 when he died. Now, I had to write this ahead of time because I knew I'd be a mess. And I sat there and I watched that cursor blink for. At least 15, 20 minutes? I don't know. (laughs) Because I didn't know what to say. I mean, I'd spent so much time on the golf course, and the lion's share of it was with him at my side. So that's why I hate golfing alone. It's a burning reminder that I no longer have the person who I can at any time, for any reason, ask if they want to go play and get a yes. If I'm being honest, I still can't even go and play my home course from when I grew up. There's just too many memories. I've played it twice since he died. Once shortly after, I got two holes in and had to walk off. And the other time was about two weeks ago, and it's because it was my wife's first time playing golf. And I figured there is no better place for her to experience that than where I grew up with it. But the thing is, now I've got two kids, and thankfully they both like golf or well one of them likes golf the other one at least tolerates it so now it's my turn to stand back and watch the shots bounce off the tee for now but i know that they'll soon soar and that's the thing i love helping people have breakthroughs with their game to see that smile on my dad's face when he shot 79 was one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. And from that point forward, I figured like that's when I knew, like, I have to do something golf related for the rest of my life. And how better to remember my dad than to stand in his shoes? So that's really why I do this podcast, so I can feel closer to my dad. You know, when people ask me, Oh, why do you do the podcast? Most of the time, like, I don't want to get in this deep. Most of the time, I just blow it off and say, oh, well, you know, I love playing golf. And so, hey, it's a way to keep me playing golf. But really, I do the podcast because hearing these stories of of people who listen and have these milestones and these achievements. I see my dad's face when he shot that 79. And that is the coolest thing in the world to me. So thank you for being with me for these 100 episodes. And we'll keep going. We'll get out 100 more. And then 100 more after that. I just want to say, on this International Podcast Day, thank you. And I'll catch you in a short class. Cheers. All right, I had to take a break for a minute uh, so I could recompose myself. Uh, But thank you, thank you, thank you for being with me for these last five years through the podcast, through all hundred amazing episodes. Thank you to everybody who's been on the podcast in the past, whether you were a guest for a coaching call or a PGA instructor lending your expertise and your knowledge. Thank you. To celebrate this 100th episode, we are doing a giveaway, as I'm sure you heard in the last episode. All you got to do is go to GolfStrategySchool.com slash giveaway. You can sign up there. And it's all going to culminate in a live training that I'm doing on October the 13th. We are going to announce the winner live during the training. So be there or be square. You can get extra entries into the contest by signing up for the training. So GolfStrategySchool.com slash giveaway. Get yourself signed up get yourself a chance to win we've got a prize pack from super speed golf it's a super speed golf set so you can actually swing faster hit the ball farther and then i actually picked up a pin flag from the 2019 masters and when i was in scotland i picked up a pin flag from st andrews so we'll be giving those away as well get yourself signed up the more people you have sign up through your link the more entries you're gonna get so just keep spreading it early spread it often And I will catch you all in the short grass in that training. Cheers, everybody. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Strategy School. As always, if you want to keep it in the short grass, all you got to do is put those lessons into effect. And if you want to see exactly how you fare in terms of your physical performance to other golfers your age, head over to parforsuccess.com/slash griffin, and you'll be able to see exactly where you line up and match up with other golfers your age based off of this free performance assessment that Chris and his team has put together. Again, that's parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see exactly how well you line up against all the golfers your age. And I'll just drop a link to it in the show notes.